Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. How's everybody doing now? You guys good? Couple, couple things I want to share with you real quick that I forgot to hit. Uh, we have um, our Easter cards got damaged. Um, the ones we're mailing out, so we have two thousand extra Easter invites. Uh, our guest services, I think we have those. Do we have those? We want to put a couple of those in your hands so you can invite a neighbor, a coworker, somebody to come with you on Easter Sunday. And let me say this, on Easter Sunday, whether you attend the 9 o'clock or the 11 o'clock, you better be here early, all right? Uh, there is a creative moment at the beginning of the service, and once those doors shut for about 5 or 10 minutes, you won't be able to get in. All right, we have to shut it because it's part of the creative moment. So you got to get here. There's going to be some incredible fun stuff, photo ops, all that stuff. So get here early. Hit your neighbor and tell them, get here early on Easter. All right, it's going to be an amazing time. We are finishing up our series on worship. And uh, we've called this series Breaking the Silence. The premise of the series has been that one of the enemy's objectives has been to silence the people of God. And not just silence like our voice in, in culture, but even he's, he's gone as far to silence our praise, to silence our worship. And so we, we've been talking about breaking the silence. And in week one, we talked about house wars. Y'all remember that message? Uh, we talked about the house of David and the house of Saul. Scripture says in, in the book of 2 Samuel 3 that the house of David grew stronger and stronger but the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And we, we did a, a, a comparison between the two houses that the reason David's house got stronger is because David's house was a house of worship. And so we, we how many know God wants to manifest himself through houses of David, through houses that have a sound to, the, to them, houses that have a sound of praise and a sound of worship. And then week two, we talked about the why of worship. The why of worship. How many know if we lose our why, we will lose our way? We have to remember the why when it comes to worship. And then last week was probably my favorite message. Uh, We talked about pattern, not preference. So many of us, we treat worship as if it's our preference, that we get to decide what that looks like. Well, pastor, I'm worshiping the Lord out of my heart. Well, God didn't say he wanted worshiped out of your heart. He said he wanted your hands lifted. He said he wanted shouts coming out of your mouth. He said he wanted us to sing loudly unto the Lord, to shout unto God with a voice of of triumph, that there is a pattern. How many know God's big enough and bad enough that he gets to to decide how he is to be worshipped? It's important. It's not preference. It's a pattern. And so today, um, we're going to be talking about winning in worship. Winning in worship. Um, If there was a big idea for the series, it would be that worship is love expressed. That's what worship is. It's love that is expressed. Worship is not just having an internal affection for God. It's about expressing that affection. Marriage is a great example of this. Um, You guys know how it is. Imagine if I uh, never told Pastor Karen that I loved her. 
if I never told her that. And, and one day she comes and says, do you love me? And I said, well, I told you on our wedding day I did, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. How many know that, that? That's probably not the right way to do it, that she wants to hear I love you. Just because I said it once doesn't mean that I don't say it again. I should say it every day in the marriage. How many know every day we ought to express our worship? God wants to hear your voice. God, God wants to see your praise and your worship. And so our worship, what we have to understand about it, on our worst day, we still need to worship. On our worst day. And I know there are days and seasons and times in our life when it's difficult to worship. But I, I hope to show you that even on your worst day, you need worship. And my concern is that many people minimize the power of worship. Worship is not just about filling some space in a worship experience. It's about filling our lives with the presence of God. When we worship, we're not just singing. How many of you understand spiritual battles are being won while we worship, while we sing, while we praise, while we lift our hands? There are battles being won. It's why the, the psalmist said, teach my hands to fight and my fingers to war. What was he talking about? He was talking about the power of praise. He was talking about the power of worship. And with that in mind, my goal today is to arm you and to help you understand that on your worst day, you can still win if you choose worship. A great place to start today would be 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And the story zooms in on Israel's king Jehoshaphat. And this, this day began as the worst day of his 25-year reign. And in verse number one of 2 Chronicles 20, it says, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Meonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Hit your neighbor real quick and just tell him you're in a spiritual war. You're, you're in a spiritual war. Jehoshaphat had just came out of a disappointing defeat when he hears now, after we've already been beaten up in one battle, now he gets the news that three different armies have amassed and they are planning to attack him. One of the things I love about scripture is that it is a living book. Jehoshaphat had three enemies attacking him. And I believe that there are, there are many ways that the enemy attacks us, but I want to give you three that, that I felt impressed to share with you this week real quick. These are not in your notes, but you may want to write these down. Um, the enemy is working, number one, in your life and against your life to bring distraction. A lot of this last two years, distraction. Distraction. You, you, and some of you, you made up your mind at the beginning of the year, I'm going to seek God first. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attend church. I'm going to give and be generous. I'm going to get in a small group. I'm going to serve on the dream team. I'm going to start my day with prayer and a devotion. I'm going to get my spiritual life in order. And for many of you, even though you made all those decisions, it seems like there's constant uh, things coming against you to pull you out of God's purpose. 
projects at work, maybe they have stalled. Details you thought were covered, they, they come undone. Often people begin to drag you into their mess. And you think you're getting some momentum, but every time you get a little momentum, something happens in your family. Something happens at work. Somebody posts something that gets underneath your skin. And before you know it, you are distracted and missing out on what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. He brings distraction. The second thing that he wants to bring against us is destruction. The enemy has targeted areas of your life, areas of my life, to bring destruction. How do you know what areas? It's, it's the areas that at, in one season you're like, it worked, but in this season it's not working for me. Like what used to work doesn't seem to be working now. No matter how hard I try, it seems to get worse instead of better. Many of you in this season feel like God's hand is not on you because things are not working. And many of you have even asked in this season, God, where are you? Why is this happening to me? The, and, and, and what I would, would tell you right here is the enemy wants to destroy your confidence in God. But if you don't hear anything else today, please hear your pastor as I, I speak this over you. God has not left you. God is still with you. God is still for you. You are still the head and not the tail. You are still above only and not beneath. It may seem that he's distant, but he is an ever-present help in the time of need. Give him praise if you know God is on your side today. He's bringing distraction. He's bringing destruction. And the third thing that he's bringing is discord. Nothing will set your spiritual life back faster than discord. What do you mean by that, Pastor Chad? I'm talking about broken relationships. I'm talking about people that were with you in one season not being with you in the next. I'm talking about when your relationships are, are strained and you look at your, your, your relationships around you and you say things like, they're not what they used to be. They're not as healthy as they used to be. And, and you're, you're wondering why certain people you were close to in one season you're not close to in the next season and, and you get all disgruntled about what's happening in your relationships because they're strained and they're broken. And some of you, if you're being real honest, you fighting with everybody. Here's what I know. I can handle one attack at a time. And if I'm feeling real good in the spirit, I can handle a couple of attacks at one time. But how many know life can get difficult when it seems that you got three enemies coming against you, four enemies coming against you, five enemies coming against you, that everywhere you turn, it's not one thing, it's seven things coming against your life. And you probably feel in those seasons like Jehoshaphat because Scripture says that he was shaken. He was shaken. His head was spinning. Decisions were harder to make. Fear was starting to weigh heavy on his chest. And many of you feel exactly like that. But I want you to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 3. Shaken, Jehoshaphat prayed. I mean, that's good right there. Shaken, 
Jehoshaphat prayed, he went to God for help and ordered a nationwide fast. Notice he was shaken, but it didn't keep him from stepping toward God. You know what's happened in the last two years in the church world is people have become shaken, and instead of stepping toward God, we have been stepping further and further away from God. Oh, I'm preaching about right now. Instead of running, we're allowing the problems and the things coming against us to intimidate us. But I want to announce to you today, stop allowing the enemy to intimidate you, but allow that to motivate you to move towards God, to go after God. Come on, somebody, give him praise right there. One translation of this verse said, Jehoshaphat resolved to seek the Lord. Stop retreating from the attacks. Get some resolve about you. When there's a fight around you, sometimes you gotta stir up the fight that's in you. Paul told a young Timothy, stir the gift of God in you. Determine that you are going to worship in spite of bad news, in spite of struggles, in spite of setbacks, in spite of the chaos around you. When your world is at war, worship is your weapon. I'm going to say that again. When your world is at war, worship is your weapon. Please understand this today, that worry increases pressure. That when you and I worry about things instead of worshiping, when we worry, it increases the pressure in our lives. We begin complaining and and grumbling about everything that's going on, all because worry increases the pressure. But on the other hand, you need to understand that worship releases the pressure. I want to say that one more time. Worship releases the pressure. If you want to come out of worry and struggle and grumbling and complaining, you got to stop with all the worrying and you got to step into a place of worship because worship has the ability to relieve the pressure in your life. That's why Satan knows if I can shut you up, I can shut you down. But I refuse to let a rock cry out in my place today. I refuse to stand and watch other people praise for me. I know what God has done for me. He's been too good to me for me to sit there and be quiet in his presence. Let the church praise God today. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Worry and worship cannot exist in the same place. Oh, that's so good. Worry and worship cannot exist in the same place. One always displaces the other. So you have to choose to respond with worship. And for that reason, I want to give you four reasons that we win when we worship. Four reasons. Number one, worship refocuses my attention. It refocuses my attention. Your attention is your most prized possession. Whatever has your attention will determine what you think, how you feel, and ultimately what you do. 
The problem is when we're under attack, we naturally give our attention to the enemy. And what happens is, is that we start listening to lies and we rehearse the worst case scenarios. And the more of our attention the enemy gets, the more his plan can advance in our lives. Many of us, we are living defeated because we've given the enemy our attention. We've, we've literally allowed him to control what we think, how we feel, and ultimately what we do. But my worship changes my focus from the problem to the problem solver. In, in, in Psalm 34, 4, it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Now, that's a powerful verse, but the question is, how did that happen? How, how did that verse, that promise happen? If you look at the verse right before it, it tells us how that happened. In Psalm 34 and 3, one verse earlier, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. What does it mean when we magnify something? Does it mean that that thing gets bigger? It doesn't mean that thing gets bigger. My view of that thing gets bigger. God is already powerful. Worship simply refocuses my view on who God is. You may have a big problem, but if you'll come and magnify the Lord with me, your problem gets a lot smaller and your God becomes bigger. Worship is forgetting about what's wrong with me and remembering what's right with God. See, from the highest peaks of Mount Everest to the lowest points of the earth's core, God is there. Every square inch of the solar system, he, he has it in his hands. His presence is there. It's all within his care. Even though he's so vast and so big, how many are thankful that he's still intimately aware of every cell and every part of your being? He is in tune with your wants, your desires, your dreams, your worries, your everything that you have in your life. God is in tune with it. It's so powerful to understand how our worship can refocus our attention. Worship is an exchange. Because when we worship the big problem, because here, I hate to even use this analogy, but some of us, we, our view of our problem is that it's just massive. And it's insurmountable. And our view of God is just, he's little. But when I worship, my problem all of a sudden becomes smaller and smaller and my God becomes bigger and bigger. Worship refocuses my attention. Secondly, worship reminds me who is in charge. Once the people of Israel refocused on God through worship, I love this, they refocused through worship and then watch what happened, God spoke. Some of you are like, God ain't talked to me in a while. Well, it's because all you do is grumble and complain. He don't speak to complainers. He speaks to worshipers. They refocused their attention. They they. They had to remember who was in charge. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, 
It says, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. How many of that is good news right there? The battle is not yours, but it belongs to God. Sometimes God will not get involved in the battle because you refuse to take your hands off the battle. A.W. Tozer said, the reason why so many are troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. You want to know why you're tired all the time and why you're fatigued and why you're frustrated? It's because you won't take your hands off the battle long enough for God to put his hands on the battle. You've got to learn to relinquish the battle to God. You've got to, you've got to learn that he is still in charge. Worship brings me to the end of myself. That's what worship does. God cannot take a situation that has not been given to him. Worship makes your problem his problem. It, it, it makes my problem his problem, meaning that the problems in your heart, the problems in your finances, in your marriage, in your children, that's why lifting our hands in worship is so profound because throughout history, raised hands have two meanings. It always means two things. Number one, it means victory. When I raise my hands, that is a sign of victory. Even if you're at a sporting event and your team scores, what's the first thing we all do? Well, I mean, we just, we do this right here because it is a sign of victory. The other sign is that it's a sign of surrender. If someone pulls a gun out on you, what do you do if you don't have one? You lift your hands and you surrender. Here's the cool thing. In the presence of God and in worship, both victory and surrender happen simultaneously because the moment I surrender it to him, I also find victory in him. I got to take my hands off of it so that he can put his hands on it. Worship refocuses my attention. It reminds me of who's in charge. Number three, worship releases my faith. It releases my faith. The king refocused his attention on, on God. He recognized that the battle belongs to God. And then in 2 Chronicles 20, 21, it says, The king appointed singers to walk out ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor, and here's what they say. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Now, it's a very unusual way to organize an army because he puts the singers in the front line, not the special forces, but the singers. Normally, the singers, the choir, the praise team, would bring up the rear. And the reason they were in the back is because if they won the battle, they could sing a song of victory. But also, if they lost the battle, they could change their song and sing one of defeat. 
And so normally the singing was based on what happened, but this time it was going to be based on what they believed would happen. Worshiping, worshiping after God does it is gratitude. Worship before God does it is called faith. Anybody can praise the Lord and worship when he answers the prayer, gives you the breakthrough, heals your body. Anybody can worship then. That's called gratitude. But I believe that God is looking for some people that can stand in the face of adversity and attack after attack and still raise their hands and still lift their voice and offer God the worship that he deserves because we believe he will move. He, we believe he'll move. It sparks faith when we worship like that. You need to know it drives the enemy crazy, not when you worship after the miracle. It drives the enemy crazy when you worship that your marriage will be healed. When you worship that the addiction will be defeated. When you worship that your home will have harmony. When you worship that your promotion will come to pass. When you worship that that dream will become a reality. If you're believing God for anything today that hasn't happened yet, I dare you to take 20 seconds right now and give God some praise and some worship on the front end. On the front end. That's faith. Worship refocuses my attention, reminds me of who's in charge. It releases my faith. As the worship team comes, the fourth and final thing, worship reverses the plan of the enemy. It reverses his plan. The enemy, the Bible's very clear, Satan strategizes against you. He plots on how to take you down. He schemes about how he could destroy your marriage, wreck your finances, destroy your ministry. He plots and schemes and strategizes. But when we worship, his plans are reversed. It's through the power of worship that the schemes of the enemy can be broken off of my life. The enemy, I, I said at the beginning, he wants to distract you in this season. He wants to destroy the work of God in you. And he wants to bring discord into your relationships. And somebody needs to hear this. Worship reverses those plans. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 22, it says, As they began to sing and praise... The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The first line of that, as they began to sing, as they began to sing, that God at that moment set ambushes. The minute we sing, God moves. 
You, don't, don't make me remind you about Daniel when the angel had to come and tell Daniel, hey, Daniel, I know it's been 21 days, but the first day you opened your mouth, I heard you. The moment we sing, God begins to move. And if you study this passage out, what it means is that most scholars believe that, that God set ambushes against them is that God literally sent angels to do the battle. That the angels of God began wiping out the enemies of Israel. Do you know why worship defeats the enemy? Because his main strategy is to lie. But praise and worship is nothing but truth, baby. It is nothing but truth. When I begin confessing who God is, meaning I can praise my way out of depression. I can praise my way out of deception. I can praise my way out of discouragement and confusion because when I worship, things start changing. When my hands go up, the enemy is put down. When I release praise, the enemy retreats. When I lift up Jesus, he lifts me up out of frustration and fear. When I declare God's goodness, his glory floods my situation. Worship is not something we lay aside when things go wrong. It's what I pick up to make things right. Because when I worship, I win. Come on, take 20 seconds right now. Stand to your feet. Let's give God some praise. Come on, open up your mouth. Come on, open up your mouth. Church, it's high time for us to break the silence. It's high time for us to break the silence. This is a house of worship. This is a house of David. If we don't get anything right, we're going to get worship right. We're going to get worship right. Are you thankful you've been in God's presence today? do a couple things in this moment. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, no one looking around for the next couple of moments. And I know there may be people under the sound of my voice today, and the truth is you're not, even, you're not in relationship with God. So talking about worship just seems like a step that's really far from you right now. But here's what I would tell you, that when you give your life to Christ in that moment, you are just as holy as the person who has been saved for 50 years. There's not levels of holiness. There's blood of Jesus that washes us, that makes us as white as snow. And so if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not in right relationship with God. I need to be saved. I need his grace and forgiveness today. If that is you, I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you would say, hey, I need to make things right and I don't want to leave here without doing that. I want to invite Jesus into my life today. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are? right there where you are. Say, that's me. Anyone at all, that's me. I need to make some things right. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. I want God to save me. Anyone at all this morning. Thank you for this hand. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. 
Those of you watching online, our moderators would love to, to hear that you're making a decision to follow Christ. All you got to do is repeat this prayer after me, and there's no magic in the prayer. It's me helping give you some words to help you articulate what God is about to do in your heart. That's all that this is. The Bible says that all we have to do is ask and receive. And so I want everybody to lift their voice and pray this with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give those folks a big God bless you today. I'm going to ask that the prayer team and staff, if you would, the altars are open. The worship team's going to lead us. If you need prayer for anything at all, don't miss out on this moment. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.